You're listening to Compassion Radio. Telling the amazing story of the communion of believers around the world and the struggles that they face. This is the Daily Radio Journal of Saints, Sufferings, and that special miraculous work of God's Spirit all around us. This is Compassion Radio. Thanks for tuning our way today. Over the past 10 years or so, our friends at Bibles for the World have given us front row seats to the amazing progress of the Great Commission in the 21st century. Never have more people heard the gospel. Never have more people held a copy of God's Word than today. And that's in no small part to the faithful, persistent work of one small tribe of on-fire Christians in Northeast India. Their passion is seemingly inexhaustible, and their activist faith is rock solid. So, what could possibly steer them away from seeing the Great Commission continue to spread in Southeast Asia and all around the world? Well, in a word, persecution. Today, the Christians in Northeast India are under unprecedented attack by jealous enemies. The violence has claimed the lives of hundreds and the lives and livelihoods of untold thousands hang in the balance. Well, it's time for an update, and it's time to step up and help our brothers and sisters under attack. I'll tell you how later in the broadcast. Well, I've got John Podiati across the table from me today. It's the first time in a while you and I have sat down and talked, in fact, in person, probably since we traveled together to Vietnam over Christmas time. And we sat with your staff after that and talked about the future of communications in general but specifically about what kind of projects were worth actually telling the story about. And you all have some projects coming up this year that I'm planning on being part of later this year. We'll talk about that, too. First thing, though, John, I want to talk about is you gave me a very short report by phone a few weeks ago about what was happening at your home district of India in Manipur. is a state on the very, very far east of the country, and that's where your roots are. Your dad grew up there, and the whole story we've told many times on the program about how the gospel was brought to your people group, and because of the efforts of your grandfather and father, they have an entire Bible now in their language. So you're committed as a family, as a ministry, and as a culture now to evangelistic outreach, to actually being part of and helping to fulfill the Great Commission, probably in this generation or two. But the last few weeks have not been kind to your people. I want to revisit that discussion we had, and as you get down to brass tacks here about what's really going on with your churches, the battles you've been having within the cultures, the culture clashes that are happening in eastern India right now, and what it means for the future of your ministry. So can you bring me up to date, if you don't mind, on what's happened there and recap for us how the hostilities that have been targeting Christians began? Yeah, that's true, Bram. Uh, when we've talked about this, it was only a couple days into the violence, and I was still trying to piece through that, figure out with the limited information that was coming over what exactly was going on in our, our home state of Manipur. Um, that, of course, is where my father is from, my grandfather's from, where the gospel came to our people. That's where a large amount of our work is um, in evangelism, church planting. It's been based out of there. And Christian education, our hospital is there, and our seminary among the major projects that are based there. And so that has been home, home for the ministry, the the beachhead from which we work there in, in that part of India. And so as the news has come across, it's just been shocking. It's been devastating at times as we hear the reports. There's been a hundred times you've probably been in the countries where 
You're coming in on the heels of strong violence against believers and helping to sustain them, support them, re-equip them, train them, and give them the Word of God so they can continue to build the body of Christ in those countries. Neither one of us were expecting that it would suddenly erupt in your hometown, but it's literally your hometown where the violence is concentrated right now. What brought it on? Well, there's been some things as we look at it now, 68 days or so into the violence that were behind it. It's uh, some socio-political issues. Um, there's really a, a desire of the dominant people group there to have more access to our land, to, to jobs, to education, to things that they feel that they deserve, where they have already have their quotas already have all of this they have the best land in the state but they are you know really eyeing our hill land which is is really rugged territory you know it's just a shame because they are a people group that going back to my grandfather they had such a burden for my own uncle worked among them for probably 35 years and the people group that we're talking about is the mate the mate people who are the dominant a people group of Manipur. And until the gospel really got there into the hill tribes and started a mission movement that started reaching out to the Mete and other tribal groups around that part of India, there have been no witness within their culture at all. And there's only a few generations into this where there's been a Christian presence within their culture and they're being surrounded by these other hill tribes that for the vast majority of them have turned to the gospel and have transformed their societies in, in every kind of way possible. If someone is stirring up the envy amongst the Meite now, and it's putting the Christian believers in their own culture at risk, it's caused a lot of violence that literally cost lives amongst the people that you know. You've lost pastors, you've lost hundreds of churches, places of worship, and other public facilities have been burned to the ground. What do you think is at the heart of it, and how much disaster and destruction have you been witness to or know about happening? Well, I think the word you use there, envy, is really the root of this. And I think that they see us as tribals, who are predominantly Christian, advancing through the education, through the things that the gospel has brought to our people. Even just having a perspective, a vision um, that is much broader than theirs, you know, for people that's as isolated, remote as we are, that's that's really a worldwide vision and understanding of our role there, and also our role as being one to send God's word, send the gospel message out to all corners of the world, and knowing that's our command, and that has really carried our people and broadened our scope and vision, and. Uh, so I think they see that only on the surface and think, well, it must be the land. It must be this. It must be that. It must be they, because they have this many government jobs, quotas for enrollment in education, different things like that. But they're really missing the whole point. Right. You know, now as the violence broke out, um, you know, we've seen yeah, well over 100 lives lost. Mm-hmm. We've seen 350-plus churches and church properties attacked. 7,000 tribal homes have been burned over a, I forgot the number exactly, but well over 100 villages have been attacked and in many cases just burned to the ground. And it's just been devastating. I mean, the, the violence, frankly, it's been, you know, with the collusion of the state government, 
as we see the state police and the commandos, their their special forces out there on the front lines, our people are just there trying to defend their homes, their villages, and the mobs are coming in terms of 600, 800, 1,000 armed with automatic weapons and things attacking our villages. And so it's just been very, very devastating for the people to try to defend, just to defend their own villages. Now, the tribal cultures that you have worked with and that are part of the movement that has become so Christianized, they could have very well gone the direction of many other insurgent groups across Southeast Asia. Now, the Burmese government has been battling against the Karen and the Kareni tribal groups in the area part of their country for decades. And many of those have gone Christian too, but many of them stayed well-armed and were actually insurgent forces within Burma. So there might have been some logic reason why they would be fighting each other because they're still armed insurrectionists that actually have an objective to get rid of the government. Mm -hmm. Your people chose a different path in that they had people that were committed to be protection forces, but they agreed with the government to cease hostilities and to promote peace and actually be instruments of peace amongst their people and throughout the entire state. So they have been model citizens, as far as I can tell, for what the government says they want. They want a stable state. And yet, somehow, there are factions within the national or state governments that probably don't want that. They have other reasons for that. And they seem to be following the same kind of agenda that some of the juntas over in Burma might have. I'm not sure how far into that we want to dig, but do you see some similarities between the kind of corruptions that have been happening in other Southeast Asian states and what's happening in your own state government there in that part of India? Well, it's hard from a distance, not having hard factual evidence, but there are things that we have been able to put together, we can surmise, that just add up to you know where things are now. But as you mentioned, a number of our groups that have been politically active, fighting for the rights, have gone under a ceasefire, a suspension of operations, which is a three-way ceasefire with the central government, with the state government, and with these individual groups who have all come together under uh, uh, one banner, just so that we can talk about the possibility of having a separate administration for the Hill areas. Mm -hmm. And that's been the goal, is that we should be self-governing. So this is something that the the dominant people group, as we mentioned, the Métis, is just adamantly against. It seems that the bottom line is the territorial integrity of the state. But frankly, they even during the British time, they only ruled the valley area. The British had put the hill areas where we live under a separate administrative unit directly with a political agent uh, sent by on behalf of the Queen of England. So there's a very different situation there. It is more akin to the idea of the treaties that were signed by the U.S. government with Native peoples in America, most of which were not honored, but nonetheless the structure was there to come with some kind of people-to-people agreement by treaty. They covered certain areas of land, very specific, things like that. When the British pulled out, and then as the Maharaja of Manipur joined the Indian Union, it kind of brought all of the hill areas with it, but it was never under agreement of the hill people to come as part of that state. I see. And so there's been, you know, over the years, a lot of battles in the political arenas, courts, different things over what exactly is is this state of Manipur, shouldn't some of it be with the state to the north, Nagaland, as the people are closer to them and to the south. Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, 
relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, or providing training and theology books to barefoot pastors as they begin their ministry. These are all the kind of things we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. Will you help us get ready for the next Big Faith Challenges and Opportunities of this year? Your gift today will provide the means for us to begin some new initiatives with our Bible and Relief Partners that reach farther than we've ever gone before. Here's how. The first and best way to reach us is through our website, CompassionRadio.com. It's available 24-7. Our safe and secure order form there will get your gift to the places needed most and we'll do it right away. You can also support us with a call during Pacific Time Business Hours at 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can also text COMPASSION to 53445 to give right through your phone no matter where you are. And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. However you give, we'd love to hear more about why you believe in Compassion Radio. We so much value your messages and letters. And know this, your gift is deeply appreciated. Thank you for loving us in this way. There's been, you know, over the years, a lot of battles in the political arenas, courts, different things over what exactly is is this state of Manipur? Shouldn't some of it be with the state to the north, Nagaland, where, as the people are closer to them and to the south? So tensions about the territorial integrity is there, but it doesn't seem really like what's happening now is strictly an a result of breakdown of a disagreement or a negotiation that was happening over all this time. It's new. So what's happening now that you think is suddenly so urgent for the Métis to make sure that the hill tribes are punished for being where they are? That's what's really been hard to understand because, you know, there are certain things developing in the state, but it doesn't seem like this would bring it to head. But we see some of these signs that they went door to door in the valley area under the guise of uh, some kind of a census, some kind of unique ID number for every household. And they marked all the tribal households. Mm -hmm. And then there were attempts to steal or siphon off all of the rice from the public distribution system that was in the southern half of the state. And in addition to that, there was a a call for everybody with a gun license to come and submit their weapons. This was just in two, three months before this broke out. So we see these piecing together and go, there was something very intentional, something really orchestrated and planned here. And as the violence broke out, There were, in the Valley area, police training academies where the doors were just open and they were let into the armory and thousands of weapons were taken out from there. From certain police stations, the same thing happened. Unrecorded, just disappearing into the public. And there's no way that it could just disappear. Somebody had to let them in. There were no shots fired. Anytime somebody's trying to attack a police armory, that is the immediate cause for opening fire, but it never happened. There are things like this that we just see the collusion of different forces along with some groups, kind of militant or more radical Mete groups that have become public or raised their heads. At first they were kind of positioned as a united friendship organization or this and that that were cultural about the cultural heritage and preserving that. 
but they have come out as really militant groups. The Arambai Tengol is one, the Meite Lipun is another. Their leaders have gone even on national television and just talked about wiping out all the tribals very openly. And yeah. it's, it's just amazing. I mean, it's just unbelievable this could be happening and that they would talk in this way. I mean, they're basically raising a call to genocide and not having any qualms about it. And your people, you've trained them to be peaceable and follow the literal scriptural designation of a honest citizen, how to honor the government, how to follow the way of Jesus and make peace, not make war. You've taught that for generations now, and you've seen people follow that the way you expect honorable citizens to do the kind of Christians you want to have in your country. Mm-hmm. And yet the payback in this generation has been, we don't care how lawful you are, what you have, we want. And we're going to take it. And with the collusion of the government, not enforcing the law that's on the books, you are at risk. But you're also not jumping in there to create an insurrection against the violence coming at you. You've long suffered through this. You've even welcome people in and taken care of them or rescue them when they were at risk. There are plenty of people in the Meite community that aren't on board with this, but they're being told by the propaganda system in that state that all of these tribals are doing this to you. We need to go out there and take care of business. So the state government and the propaganda that's coming out of it is driving this kind of violence against you all. So it shows me that there's real persecution happening against the people group, and it's ethnic. It is sometimes religious. It is definitely targeted. But it's not just about what we would consider a traditional idea in the West of what persecution for your faith is. Because it's not just about you standing up saying, I believe these things, I believe in Jesus, and then being overwhelmed by a mob against you personally. It is an organized, systemic way of starving out those who subscribe to a different worldview and a different allegiance to a different kingdom that happens to be living within the borders of their nation. This is the long-term tension that Christians have had throughout history. How do you stay faithful and even patriotic to your nation and be honorable citizens and follow the Lord's command to obey Him first and to love even when you're hated? And then you still pay a price for it because it is stacked against you. It is, in some ways, racist. It is economic persecution. It is religious persecution. And sometimes it's very personal, neighbor against neighbor. But this is a big thing. It's a it's a big movement against the church, really. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it? And what do you tell your people when you're right in the middle of it? Well, you know, Bram, we've talked about before how our transformation, our people have gone through in the last little over 100 years. I mean, we were known as a fierce, savage, headhunting tribe. And the gospel has transformed our people into law-abiding citizens, into those who respect and pray for their leaders, for their elders, the political leaders and all the leaders. And now, here it is coming back at us with such force. It is really hard. I mean, we are trying to keep the Volunteer Village Defense Force as a defensive force. There are some, really, that are chomping at the bit saying, they're just coming at us. We've got to go on the offensive. And that's been a challenge just even in recent days or weeks, just to keep the young men in line because they're seeing their their brothers, their, their fellow tribesmen being attacked. I mean, there was just the most gruesome beheading. This was on July 2, I mean, just a week ago, that a young man, his village had evacuated because they were right on the front lines. He had gone back to collect some of their possessions from their house, and it would happen to be at a time, and the attack came. It's from my own tribe, 
Mar tribe, and it's a village, two tribes that have been living together for many, many years. And so they went through systematically and said, okay, that tribe, you can go. And they actually took this young man, David, and they chopped him up into pieces, burned him, and beheaded him and hung his head on the fence post. I mean, in this day and age, it's the most gruesome thing that you can imagine. And this is just really, as you can imagine, gotten the young people, everyone up in arms. This young man in prime of his life, I think he's 28 years old, and he was just going back there to collect some of their possessions from their house and come back to one of the relief camps, one of the displaced person camps. And he's suffered this kind of violence. So this has been really, really tough for the people to like, you know, just say, okay, we'll be on the defensive. This has just gotten too far. It is just, as you say, there's a there's a evil at work here driving this. There's so much lies and disinformation. I mean, we've been praying that they'll be trapped up in their lies, that sooner or later the, the light of God's truth will shine through all of this and will reveal all of those lies. And we're starting to see little cracks in that people group as some of them are starting to stand up and say, Something isn't right here. One of the things the state government has done is shut down the Internet in the whole state now for over 60 days. So no information getting out, no pictures, no videos, except what they allow to get out through the few places, you know, government offices where they're giving an Internet signal. And so it's only those that are following the kind of the, the party line, as it were, that this information is getting out. But it's slowly getting out, and the truth of what's happening there is getting out, and we're just praying that God's truth will continue to be revealed. You told me that you were having a lot of troubles even getting relief into the valley and into the Hills Tribe centers where you have believers ready to distribute that aid or help people who are without food and without clean water right now that are running literally in the woods. Mm -hmm. There seem to be a lot of roadblocks being put in your way to even get money into the country. So what are you doing now about getting aid into the people who are actually bringing relief to the people in the hill country? Well, yeah, that was really challenging in the early part of this because because the Internet was shut down. So banking, whole banking system now so much based on online and right. Internet-based was totally disrupted, blocked basically from operation. We couldn't even you know, check balances and see where we are. Was funds that we were sending over getting there or not? And so this was really challenging. And all of our supply chain comes through the Central Valley, through the capital city of Imphal. And so our suppliers, our vendors are there, whether it be for food, whether it be for medicines, uh, medical equipment, you name it, it comes through the valley to us in the, in the south. So we have had to find other sources or find out where are the vendors outside the state and then make arrangements to transfer funds to them so that we can get medicine, so we can get hospital supplies, so that we can get medical equipment, and also so that we can get just things like rice and, and dal and oil and onions and potatoes and you name it, all the basic staples, hygienic products, soap, washing powder, things like that. Everything we're arranging from outside the state. It takes about a three-day journey to get in once we can get it, but we've been able to work out these channels for fund transfers and things like that. So, so far, the, the back routes through the mountains are still open because they're being protected by those who are on the run. And again, the area we're talking about in Manipur, I would say, is probably similar in geographic area, maybe West Virginia or maybe the central part of Texas. 
lots of mountains and valleys in between. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the Beite tribe had pretty much occupied the low ground where the better soils were and where there's more water. Mm-hmm. And then the hill tribes that came in, filling out of Burma, out of China, out of other parts of Nepal and Bhutan, ancient cultures that have been on the move or being chased out by other dynasties over all the centuries, and your people group being one of those. And now, of course, we have an entirely different regime. We have atheistic politicians that are all about power. You've got functionally social Hindus and Buddhists. You also have animistic religions that are still all around you. And, of course, the amazing and profound rise of Christianity in not just your state, but all the states around you. That is one of the most Christian areas on the planet, really, at this point, when you really get down to how many people are actually actively involved with pursuing their faith and living it out. It seems like it's becoming a nexus of a lot of these spiritual forces at play arrayed against the church. You know, they can chase you out. They haven't just dented the kingdom nearby them. They know that they are going to kill off the potential for worldwide evangelism because of how much your one tribe and your people, and now the organization Bibles for the World, have been committed to bringing literally the Bible to the world. My conversation with John Podiatic of Bibles for the World continues tomorrow as we get the latest updates on the religious persecution raging right now in the Indian state of Manipur. I hope you'll tune in then. In the meantime, I hope you'll take seriously our challenge to support Compassion Radio and our amazing partners around the world. We need to send a support gift to assist the relief efforts for all the Christians in Manipur, and we need to do it soon. Can you make a generous gift right now to help us do that? Whether getting Bibles into closed countries, relief supplies into dangerous refugee camps, these are all the kind of things that we love to share with you every day. And more importantly, they're the kind of things we like to do. So call us today at one 800 868 And note our new mailing address, which is P.O. Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Again, that's Box 77160, Corona, California, 92877. Or give online at CompassionRadio.com. We need you, friend, so contact us today.